You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Adrian Frost and Laura Geiser. This month, we're reading Social Emotional Learning and the Brain by Marilee Springer. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the SLP Book Club. Today, we are playing a little game called This or That. So we're going to say two things, and each of us will tell which one we prefer. I wonder how many of these we're going to agree on, Adrian. I have a feeling probably a couple. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes we're similar like that. (laughs) Okay, so our first this or that is Netflix or YouTube. Okay, so I think I'm going to say Netflix because YouTube, it is handy, right? I use it when I'm looking up something specific. Or if there's like one person I kind of want to hear some stuff about, or like sometimes I get into really niche interests, like historically black university and colleges, their marching bands. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever seen them? Yes. Amazing. They're fantastic. Yeah. And they are great, like the line leaders. So sometimes I will just like go deep and then YouTube is great for that. Yes. But Netflix, I use most often. I mean, Really, it's like a Netflix Prime Hulu situation, but yeah, I think I, I do like that better. Okay. Well, for me, it's going to be Netflix when I'm alone because I will watch everything on Netflix. Right now, I'm watching Love is Blind and a show called Well Mania. But when my fiance and I are together watching TV, it is YouTube all the way. We are obsessed with, right now, a competitive eater called Beard Meets Food. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) We watch all his videos. (laughs) He is from the UK and he just travels around. Sometimes he's in the US, but just travels around competing in all those eating challenges that restaurants have where you win a t-shirt and you would not believe how fast this man eats. Oh my gosh. Does he give any (laughs) tips? How can you eat so quickly? There must be some tips or tricks. Um, I don't know what they do. Like, I don't know if they just don't eat that day, but I will say that my fiance and I did recently do a hot dog challenge just to see how fast we could each eat one hot dog. And if you've- Wait, with the bun or without? With the bun. Oh, okay. And if you've ever watched the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Challenge, you see them with the water. They're like dipping the bun in the water. And what I've realized is you take a bite of that hot dog and immediately get water in there. It makes it so much faster. I shaved about 10 to 15 seconds off my time. (laughs) (laughs) when I added a lot of water yeah so my time was I think I can eat one hot dog in 54 seconds wow so this is what I'm saying I feel like that's what YouTube is good for you go so deep on these weird interests like one time I watched just a lot of YouTube videos about competitive arm wrestling and there is this man named Devin Larratt he's like the champion and he talks smack in the beginning he gets everyone all riled up he talks about techniques and it's it's so fun to just peek into these worlds and be like wow I had no idea people are very intense about this yeah and you start to go could I do that would I be good at that (laughs) well spoiler alert I don't think I'm good at armor I'm not either But maybe I could start following some kind of workout regimen and really get into it. Yeah. So that's it for this episode's This or That. And stay tuned. After the break, we'll get into this week's chapter. Do you love free stuff? 
This month, we'll be giving away a $100 Amazon gift card, plus a copy of next month's book, Take Time for You, Self-Care Action Plans for Educators by Dr. Tina Bogren. Trust us, you guys. We're a new podcast, and your odds of winning this thing are pretty high. Please help us out and just think of all the amazing things you can get from Amazon. Maybe some self-care things if you want to stick with May's book thing. Some bubble bath? More books? Wine? Did you know you can get wine from Amazon? Listen, we're not here to judge. Here's how to enter. If you love the podcast, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple or Google Podcasts. Then take a screenshot of your review and email it to hello at the slpbookclub.com. If you want extra entries in the drawing, post about an episode you loved on your Instagram stories with a link to the show and make sure to tag at SLP underscore book club. Please don't mention that it's part of a giveaway and only post if you really do love the show. If you have any questions about how to enter, email us at hello at the slpbookclub.com. We've also included all this information in the show notes if you're more of a visual learner. We'll be accepting entries until April 20th. Then we'll draw a winner. Good luck! Welcome back to the SLP Book Club podcast. This month, we are covering the book Social Emotional Learning and the Brain by Marilee Springer. And in today's episode, we're covering chapter five, which is social awareness. All right. So social awareness is the ability to take the perspective of and empathize with others, including those from diverse backgrounds and cultures. So these are our kids who can just walk in and really read a room or understand the states of other people and know whether to speak, what to say and how to say it. Social awareness really encompasses empathy, perspective taking and respect for others. So these are all skills that we work on in speech therapy, and I'm excited to cover them. So it starts with the story of Annika. She's new in school. She makes friends really quickly, even though she's usually shy. And then she goes to the Halloween dance, feeling really good. A lot of boys ask her to dance. (laughs) Then she's dancing with her eighth grade teacher, Mr. Wallace. I thought that was weird. It was like, as is his custom. I was like, who's this man? (laughs) Why is Mr. Wallace dancing with all the girls at the dance? (laughs) Only the new girls, maybe? It kind of sounded like it was like only the new (sighs) girls. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of any male teacher dancing with the kids at the school, but we'll see. Let's hope this is just a hypothetical scenario. Yeah, you know what? It might be. So then she just unleashes, tells him all the gossip at the school, stuff her friends wouldn't want anyone to know. He keeps trying to steer her in another direction because he thinks it's inappropriate. But she doesn't care. She keeps talking, spreading everyone's business, and then goes and laughs and tells her friends that she just told him all this stuff. And it says, and so her downfall begins. So I think it's hypothetical because it is so dramatic. You know, and it's just setting us up. There are some kids who just can't read a room, don't understand that these are things her friends wouldn't want her to be sharing with the teacher or anyone else at school, and it can have a really big impact socially. The first way that we can increase social awareness is by teaching emotion vocabulary. We've gone over that a bunch of times before. And Marilee says, it's our job as educators to help students recognize their own emotions and other people's, use information about emotions to guide their behavior, understand how others see a particular situation, understand social and ethical norms for behavior, and be aware of their own cultural identity and views about cultural differences. 
students with strong social awareness are just going to adapt a lot more easily to their environment and have a lot better, stronger relationships with others. So some kids are going to have these skills. Some are going to need some help. She goes into social awareness in the brain. You know, she just describes the areas of the brain that are related to social awareness. And I was, I just made a note as SLPs, you know, if you've worked with patients who've had strokes or traumatic brain injuries, you don't need to be told that there are certain areas of the brain related to social awareness. You need to have a pretty thick skin sometimes around people who, especially with like a right brain injury. But recent studies have shown that endorphins and dopamine play an important role in facilitating friendships and social networks. Endorphins help us relax and make us more friendly. And dopamine relates to how well we connect with our friends. So we're going to go over strategies in this chapter that will activate the areas of the brain for social awareness. And she makes a note, because dopamine is so important in social situations, we should be using a lot of play with our students. Merrily describes pro-social skills. These are taking positive actions that benefit others and are not prompted by personal gain. They're guided by the norms that you set up. So Merrily, instead of setting up kind of rules and expectations in her classroom, at the beginning of the year, she sets up norms. Or at the beginning of a lesson, her and her students discuss norms. And these are she'll ask questions like, what does learning in reading look like and sound like? and have her students come up with adjectives that describe everyone as they engage in the activities, things like focus, quiet, inclusive, calm, collaborative. And I thought this was a cool idea for the speech room. After your groups are set at the beginning of the year, you could come up with a plan for your norms and what going to speech or working in speech looks and sounds like. Each group could have you know, their own one page that you pull out if you need to, if things are getting a little off track. Sure. Or you could go over it at the beginning of each session. All right. So what do we, what are our norms for speech? You know, she just likes using this term instead of rules because they're not what you're supposed to do. They're the way you can be. Hmm. And it helps kids just know what to do or how to behave beforehand. Well, I do have a question real quick for you, Laura. Okay. First of all, have you ever had a teacher like Marilee? Listen, I read what this woman is writing and I'm just like, wow, I wish I was her student right now. (laughs) After hearing about her routines in her class and then we're hearing about her norms, I'm just like, it sounds like a ball. I hope every kid who ever had Marilee as a teacher is just thanking their lucky stars because while some of the things rang a bell for me, like, oh, maybe I had a teacher, as we'll talk about, who encouraged teamwork or Maybe I had a teacher in elementary school where we were on teams, like our little group of four desks or something. It just never really, I didn't have a teacher that was as amazing as I feel like she is. So I wanted to hear what you thought about that. I did have some really magical teachers in elementary school. The teacher I had for second and third grade comes to mind. She was a little bit of a, like a Miss Frizzle. From the magic school bus. Oh, yeah, magic school bus. You know, she was just so creative, so fun. I mean, every student just absolutely loved her. So, yeah, I did have, but I can't remember the specifics. I just remember how much I learned and the feeling I had being in her class and how wonderful it was. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I guess it makes sense that like over time, you would probably just remember the feeling that the teacher inspired in you rather than the method, you know? Yeah. It just sounds like a magical time. (laughs) (laughs) So 
she does go into social pain. This is the actual or potential threat to somebody's social connections. Classes have social hierarchies. These are cliques or groups. When kids are experiencing social pain, they can't use their cognitive skills to learn because their brain is too busy. Their working memory basically becomes blocked. So when students are rejected, serotonin levels are lower, which leads to stress and poor decision making. And then she talks about clicks versus clicks, like click, C-L-I-C-K, kids that click, <laughs> versus click, C-L-I-Q-U-E, like a group that's based on power and personality, and you never know when you might be out. And she said students in cliques are much more insecure than students in cliques. And a clique, C-L-I-C-K, <laughs> is students that have something in common that, you know, are in the band together or play a sport together or have some other common interest. And I can attest to this when I was reading because my group that I was in in school, in high school, was a little insecure. Even though I'm still close with my three closest friends, there were a lot of ups and downs with everybody. There were fights. But then by the end of school, it was the girls that I played volleyball with who I was really, really close with. And we didn't even hang out at school, but we had a special bond that we shared because we did this thing together. We were bonded over volleyball. So I, I did see what she was talking about. But it's like if you're not involved in a sport or the band or something like that, do you have a click? <laughs> C-L-I-C-K. I don't know. Well, I think she goes on to describe it, you know, as being like the jocks or the brains or, you know, and I guess that that you can be not on a team and still have a group, but probably each school is different, too. Yeah. She says you should talk to students about these social hierarchies. She creates what's called a sociogram where you show the links between students and then compares it throughout the year. My gosh, I have to talk about that too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, really? You're interrogating these kids? Who's best friends with who? Who's friends with this friend? Who's your boyfriend? Who's your girlfriend? You're making a huge map of that. <laughs> You're putting it on the wall. And then you are making another one after the new year and comparing the two. Yeah. Like, what do you do? Like, oh, I see you're not friends with her anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you had a falling out. I mean, I do remember in high school, teachers were aware, right? Yeah. You have to think you're sitting next to your best friend in French class every day for, you know, three months. And then all of a sudden you guys are on separate ends of the room. They know something's going on. But I thought that was like pretty a cool way to also show kids I care about what's happening in your life. Because I'm sure you remember having a falling out with a good friend or having some kind of drama, it eclipses everything when you're in high school and middle school too, you know? Oh, yeah. Okay, so then she describes emotional contagion. I'm not going to go into this too much. This is basically those mirror neurons. We've talked about them a lot, starting with whole brain child. They make emotions contagious. So when a teacher's happy, the students are happy. When a teacher's upset, the students can sense that and it affects their emotional state. Students need to be aware of their own emotions around other people and how they can impact that mirror neuron system of the whole classroom. So you can come up with a list of strategies that your whole class or your whole group will use when someone's having strong emotions, like having a calm down area or brain breaks or using validating statements. And Marilee talks about empathy and says that empathy really needs to be a habit, not just something you practice one day per week or for 30 minutes. So you need to be really teaching your kids about empathy and using activities 
that make them think about other people. When we're empathic, it activates the reward centers of the brain. We feel better when people like us, when we're helpful, and when people are friendly. And then she gets in to the brown eyes versus blue eyes activity. Oh, yeah. Which I have heard about before. I did a deep dive. Oh, oh, share. Please share. All right. So this was developed by Jane Elliott, a third grade teacher in 1968. The day after Martin Luther King Jr.'s death, students were having a really hard time understanding why he'd been killed. So this teacher divided students into groups by eye color, the blue eyes and the brown eyes. And then she declared one group the superior group. They got more time to finish their work. They got treats. They got early dismissal. The other group lost their privileges, like drinking from the water fountain and using certain equipment. The superior group was happier, did better work. And, you know, Marilee just kind of ends it here. She's like, you can do this activity with your students. Yeah. <laughs> Some students will be empathic at the beginning and will be sad to see their friends receiving lesser treatment. But it usually brings about a big change at home and at school. And she said some teachers do a similar activity with hair color when they're teaching about the Holocaust. So I was like, I read this and I was like, something doesn't feel right about this. <laughs> this is not, yeah. are people still doing this? Is this okay to do? Right. Looked it up and there's a really good article on skeptic.com. <laughs> the experiment was not as benign as Marilee described it. This teacher lied to the oh. children. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is this a Marilee expose? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, okay. Oh, my God. I did not expect this tea about this experiment. This teacher, Miss Elliot, she lies to the kids. She tells them, brown-eyed people really are superior and smarter because they have more melanin. She wrote it on the board. Melanin. She said, when you have more melanin, it makes your eyes darker, but it also makes you a lot more intelligent, better at sports, like all these things. And she was truly nasty to these blue-eyed kids, encouraged fighting, and for the brown-eyed students to treat the blue-eyed students really poorly. There were really bad fights. Oh, no. Really <laughs> bad treatment throughout the day of these blue-eyed kids. She became really famous for this experiment. She performed it for audiences. She went on talk shows. She took it on the road. There are still teachers that do it, I guess. But I just think... <laughs> that we can teach empathy without lying to kids and subjecting them to an experiment like this. I've heard of college professors doing experiments yeah. with their classes where yeah. sometimes, you know, where the people, even if there is this really great lesson, if you're lying to kids, we know that every time you do something that makes a kid think they can't trust you, yeah. it takes away a bit of their trust for everyone. You know, when... <laughs> When you're doing things yeah. like this, it doesn't seem, you know, there was a woman who said she participated in, in one of these with this specific woman, with Miss Elliot, and she was part of the uh -huh. inferior group. And she said she had really bad nightmares about it afterwards. She goes, but I guess if the benefits outweigh those aspects of it, it's okay. Well, I think what you're getting at, Laura, is consent, right? If you are at the college level, you're able to give consent even some of those pretty horrible experiments like the Stanford prison experiment, right? Where they were like shocking or they thought they were shocking. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. the exact same one, but that's like you're over 18. You're giving your consent to be in this experiment. But if you are a third grader, you really only consented to go to school. And I doubt that parents were signing waivers, you know, in the 60s to allow their kids to literally be experimented on 
psychologically. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. It just it ethically questionable. I think we can say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thanks for the scoop. Okay. I love to know more about that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I will link to that article I read in the show notes if anyone wants to check it out. Yeah. All right. So Absolutely. let's get into our strategies to increase social awareness. These are ones I do recommend. <laughs> she says, teach kids to give as a way of receiving. So arrange for kids to give to other people, respect differences, help in their school or community. You can set up mentoring systems where older students help younger ones, encourage your kids to help in their neighborhoods, and make sure you're always providing feedback to make students inclined to help even more. She suggests a talking pencils strategy where kids each have a pencil and you ask a question and then they answer and then to share their opinion, they have to put their pencil in the center of the group. So only one person is talking at a time and you give them sentence frames like, I agree with so-and-so because blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Or I like your answer. I disagree, however, and this is why. So teaching kids to have discussions and disagreements respectfully she also recommends think and feel aloud. So these are where you would break students into pairs to complete an assignment and then model this thinking and feeling aloud. So you would just say what you're thinking out loud. Devin is having trouble focusing on our assignment. Maybe I should ask if anything is bothering him or maybe I could make it more fun by suggesting we draw pictures. Hmm. I love to draw and I'll find out if he does too. So you're just Modeling what your thoughts are about other people to encourage kids to think about their partner's motivation level, ways to help their partner focus, being mindful of their feelings, etc. Oh, I really liked this one. The many roles we have is what she called it. She said, you just walk into your classroom with a bunch of name tags stuck all over your body with all the different roles you have. If you're a mom, sister, teacher, yeah. you know, book lover, she listed a bunch of them. And then the kids will be like, what's this? <laughs> so she said, then you explain to them, yeah. you talk about all those different labels that all make up who you are. And then you talk about the students' roles and you can use name tags or masking tape to have them write their own labels and then they walk around the room reading each other and you remind them that they're also teachers that we all have things to learn from each other and then she said you can remind them of who they are and who you need them to be so if somebody's off task talking to their friend you could say I know you're Kathy's friend but now I need you to be a student yeah the next one is greeting other students by name so tell your students that everyone's favorite word is their name and that there are special parts of their brain that are activated when people hear their own name. And you can think of that as a direct line to another person's feeling of belonging and sense of connection. So encourage them to use their classmates' names whenever they see them. Well, in elementary school, I didn't have a problem with this. Kids call each other by their names. They're excited to see each other in speech. And they're like, Jackie! Hi, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it depends on the school. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Okay, body language. She says it's important to use a lot of gestures when we teach to make lessons more memorable. Oh, she gives an example. You can teach kids about how important gestures and watching for body language are by saying, I went fishing yesterday and caught two fish. If you didn't see a person saying it, you would just think they caught two fish. But if you saw a person saying it and they spread their hands really wide, indicating how big the fish were, 
it gives you so much more information. So talk with students about what body language is and what it does and encourage them to use more body language and also observe it in others. And then she says, do people watching facial expression activities? So discuss basic facial expressions and what we think they convey in terms of what other people are thinking. We've talked about this before and speech therapists do this all the time. We work with a lot of kids who need help interpreting facial expressions. You can also use writing prompts like, how can you tell when one of your friends is sad or having a bad day? And then Marilee discusses social media. So she just says faceless messages can be really dangerous and easily misinterpreted. And we need to provide our students with suggestions to protect themselves and their information, respect others, trust their gut when they're online, stand up to cyberbullying, and balance their time between social media and other activities. Also encourage students to ask themselves before they post a video or picture of someone else, would my friend be okay with this? Or could this get them into trouble? Would I be okay with my grandma seeing this? You know, kids don't necessarily understand. We know their brains are Mm. still developing (laughs) and they don't understand how permanent this is that when things are posted, it could live online forever and have a real impact like shame or guilt or anger. Hopefully if we teach our kids to be empathic in person in real life, fewer of these situations will occur where they're hurting other people on social media. Yeah. Different world out there. (laughs) No, I just, (laughs) as I read this, I just picture myself in high school with my little Nokia phone and no text messages yet. They didn't exist when I was in high school. Yeah. Yeah, We went home and I am'd with our friends. Jump on MySpace, have a blast. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't have my, we didn't have MySpace yet. I'm a little older than you. Oh, so And then teach your kids to listen, to understand, and show respect to other people. So help students, you know, use appropriate eye contact, regulate their thoughts to limit distractions when they're listening to someone, use facial expressions to convey a message to them, and provide appropriate oral responses. So there are questions that you can have kids ask when they're listening. Did I listen actively? Was I distracted? Did I ask appropriate, respectful, and relevant questions? Did my tone of voice and body language appropriately convey how I was feeling? I think nowadays probably the best, you know that feeling when you're telling someone something and they're looking at their phone? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, there are a lot of kids now where you're talking to them and they don't even look up at you. They're looking down at their phones. And then she says, uh, use discussion tasks. So class or group discussions that employ critical thinking and higher level thinking are really helpful for kids. Students will have to listen to others, be respectful, look at information from another's perspective and work collaboratively. And you were asking me about great teachers. I had a fantastic English teacher my senior year of high school. And we spent a lot of time moving our desks into one giant circle and just talking, like talking about Mm. the books we were reading, talking about our lives. I felt so bonded to this class of kids and the teacher. Oh my, I'm getting chills thinking about it. You know, I don't know if it was just the right combination of kids and teacher but we were from all different groups I felt so so close to this group by the end of the year so it really is amazing what big group discussions can do oh and then give kids learning targets this is important to provide students with learning targets I think of these like the objectives we hear at the beginning of our CEU events we attend Mm -hmm. you know they always just start out with 
hey, by the time you leave here, this is what you'll know. Please. <laughs> and you can use I or we statements to personalize the target. So we can practice active listening as we build on the ideas of others, or we can make sure that all voices are heard. We can be aware of the feelings of others and how they affect the discussion. And then she ends with her little every student has a story section. Marilee says students with stronger social skills will have better relationships and more friends and be more engaged in learning. Some students will need more direction than others until social awareness becomes automatic. And students who understand social awareness will be able to size up situations and use the information to understand and work together with others. So I really loved this chapter, even if I didn't agree with the suggestion to use the blue eye, brown eye (laughs) experiment. But I did just love it. It got me thinking about so many things. These are skills that are, if you get out of school and you don't learn anything else, just learning social awareness will put you ahead in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love the tips. So she ends with some if then statements. Those are really great to go through. You know, basically just if a student is placed in a group that's already been formed, then remind group members of your group norms and ask them to welcome the new members. So she goes through a bunch of different scenarios that maybe would come up where a kid might feel isolated or conflicts might arise in ways that you could encourage social awareness and collaboration. Thank you for listening to this episode of the SLP Book Club, and we will see you next time. Bye, Adrian. Bye, Laura. The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast. It's a community. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash the SLP Book Club to join the discussion after each episode. Want even more of the SLP Book Club? We've made all the resources for this book, including chapter summaries and visuals, available for free on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the SLP book club to download these great materials. To learn more about the SLP book club, go to the slpbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at the slpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at slp underscore book club. Find us on TikTok at the SLP book club. 